1: Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank, Oh My God, Perseverance (laughs) is on Mars edition. Ah. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions about Mars and, that's, and, and, and give you news about Mars. And that's it. And we also maybe occasionally provide dubious advice about Mars. Maybe, and, the, and then maybe. at the very end, we squeeze in a, a bit of news about a third-tier English it's football possible. team. Hank. No, John, I have a joke. Hey, I have a joke. Don't you step on my joke. Oh, right. John, why aren't there any cats on Mars? Why aren't there any cats on Mars? Because you've heard what curiosity does to cats. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that that would have been a great joke in 2013. <laughs> it's it's still there. Curiosity is still I know. doing great work. I know it's still a good joke, but it would have been a great joke. <laughs> yeah, it would have been better. It's true. What an incredible accomplishment by the people behind the Perseverance mission. Just yeah. astonishing. I have to. I I know that I am not alone in this, but when I watch the live stream. Especially of of, of those uh, seven minutes of terror, as as they were described, <laughs> uh-huh. I I was so anxious and nervous and and worried and and hopeful and every I, I felt everything at the same time. And then when they exploded into joy, I I mean I might cry just remembering it. I just felt so. Hopeful yeah. and so encouraged, and so and I felt alive to perseverance, like not the rover, but the feeling. <laughs> and it was it was just what what a moment. Yeah. What, and and Hank, thank you for getting me into Mars so that I could enjoy that moment.
0: Yeah, it was really good. It's funny, like my my major emotion. I did cry, but Orin uh, Orin always gets really upset when we cry. So I uh, which. I'm trying to work through with him. Yeah. But the major emotion I have had then and have had since every time I think about perseverance is just like happiness. And like, it's not coming from anywhere bad. It's just a good happy that I yeah. like is really like unadulterated, pure happy. And I like, it's just, it's there. It's doing its work. The the video, the videos, the videos and the, and and the pictures are coming and will continue to come. And we're going to get those, you know, and Curiosity is still doing its thing. So we're going to st- still be getting great information from Curiosity. It's like double the Mars that we had before. It's so exciting. And,
1: and John. It's even more than double, though, because the oh, images are so high quality. Yeah. It's like looking. And it's fast. It's like having human yeah. eyes on Mars. Like, yeah. I I don't know how else to describe it, except that, like, I can't see my basement right now as clearly as I can see the surface of Mars. So also,
0: John, wildly and amazingly enough, uh, here on our stupid podcast, Farah Alibi, who's a systems engineer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, will be joining us to answer some of her questions later in the podcast during the News from Mars segment, which is so cool.
1: And it's going to be so much fun to talk to her. How did we trick NASA? (laughs) Into thinking <laughs> that we have a hit podcast. Our podcast I'm just is very is, grateful.
0: There aren't that many podcasts that have Mars News segments. So I will say that about us.
1: That's true. I've actually been offered an opportunity to interview the new manager of AFC Wimbledon. Oh, wow. Let's do it. Almost as good. Almost <laughs> as good. Uh, I want to begin. Uh, By asking this question from Asia, who writes, Dear John and Hank, but mostly Hank, I just watched the Perseverance rover land on Mars live, which was awesome, but a question suddenly popped into my head. I don't know why I only thought of it this time around, but I was under the impression that it takes minutes to relay information to and from Mars. How are they controlling and monitoring the landing in quote, real time. Mm. I'm still watching as images come in and they're coming in pretty quickly. So maybe there have been advances in that regard. But we want when we watched the Curiosity landing, it seemed like the whole thing was happening live. But was it? Persevering in Curiosity, Asia. Well, it's happening live and it isn't.
0: So so there's a a period of time where they just sort of like, the lander now has all the information. We're going to stop talking to it. It's going to figure it out. It's going to land itself. The parachute will figure out when to deploy. The retro rockets will figure out when to fire. The rover will find its own good spot to get put down. It will get put down there. We are not in control anymore. We are not talking anymore. And by the time we notice, like, our, our sort of at that moment, it's on the ground. It has happened already. Like all like right, like we send the last message, and then by the time we enter those like seven minutes where we know like all these things are gonna hap- happen in sequence, the
1: lander has already landed, and we're getting the messages sent back in real time, so like about each of those each of those processes, yeah. but it's taking a while for them to get there
0: and with curiosity, we didn't there was a long period of time where you we weren't getting information. We have better signal like satellites around Mars now that relay that were able to relay that information to us so with curiosity there was this period of time where we just didn't have any information we were just waiting for that first signal whereas with perseverance you actually got the signal that the chute had deployed you got the signal that the shield had had come off you got the signal like all of those things were happening and and the scientists were relaying that information to us as they were getting it the engineers at JPL but like in real life, all that stuff had happened, you know, minutes ago, because you can't like get rid of light delay. That's uh, that's the sort of law of the universe. You're never going to be able to, to transmit anything faster than the speed of light.
1: This is the same phenomenon, by the way, that happens when you watch a soccer game live on television. <laughs> you are not, yeah, you are not actually watching it as it is happening inside the stadium. You are watching it a few seconds later well, because of yeah, a series yeah. of delays that ha- that are inherent to sharing information o- across space. Yes. And so, so, Obviously, it's a lot more complicated. Yeah, Some of those are when, light delays.
0: Some of them are like various switching delays and stuff. But yes, l- light, yeah. light is important. And and as things happen farther away on Earth, you get to see them a little bit later.
1: Can I tell you my favorite moment of the live stream? It was when they got the first picture and they found out where the rover had chosen to land. Mm-hmm. because. It it was ultimately like the yeah. rover's choice, uh-huh. yeah. And I I heard one person in the background mutter, "Eh, I'll take it." <laughs> <laughs> so there, that 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 might be like, one of two like things. That person, that person might have picked a different spot, <laughs> yeah. But I'll take it. So so that might be one of
0: two things. Like one is is you want it to be as close as possible without being too close to the really interesting part of this. Ancient lake bed where they have landed. Right. Because you're gonna have to drive over to the more interesting parts. You can't land there because it's like it's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. But the other piece is that JPL scientists, I am almost positive, have a betting pool about where exactly the <laughs> lander will land. And so that guy may have just lost, you know, 50
1: bucks. Unless it's not legal to have a betting pool, in which case I'm sure they don't. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure it is. Well, I I if it's I mean, I'll tell you what. You can't do that in professional soccer. That got an AFC Wimbledon manager fired once. So I'm, n- I'm just not out here yeah, trying to get anybody yeah.
0: fired. Right, right, right. I can see that. Oh, <laughs> my wow. favorite guy was the yes guy who was just going
1: yes, 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 and I was like, dude, we can hear you. <laughs> my favorite person was the as expected person who, um, anytime something even vaguely negative was stated, right, uh, the person would mutter as expected. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is that is a thing that happens. Everybody knows this is not bad, <laughs> right? Right. It would be like it's now making bank turns, and people were like, "What bank turn?" As expected. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. <laughs>
0: oh God, yeah. Is it's so cool and it's so wild. I tweeted this like while it was happening. I was like in the moment when curiosity. Had actually landed, I I tweeted that that like this is a light delay and curiosity right now is on the ground. And everybody was like, shut up. Do not, this is not not helping.
1: Yeah. But it's true. It's very weird. It is weird. Yeah, the speed of light is very strange. And and it's only going to get stranger as we get better at traveling longer distances, right? Yeah. There's Uh. always a weird element of like looking at the sun and knowing that you're looking into the past or looking at a star in the night sky and knowing that you're looking like Mm -hmm. much deeper into the past. Yeah. But when humans are going to be in each other's pasts. Uh, That's going to be weird. Yeah. But beautiful.
0: Yeah. And there actually is a question about that from Abby who asked Hank and John. Quick Google search has shown me that one day on Mars is 37 minutes longer than days on Earth. And years are 322 days longer than years on Earth. When people are finally on the red planet... By 2028, how will they mark time using
1: using Earth? Time. I should have. <laughs> oh, I really ah. should have asked our NASA program engineer yeah. for some feedback on whether humans are going to be on Mars by 2028. <laughs> but go on,
0: Hank. We've already done the interview, so we we can't we can't adjust. <laughs> I'm sorry, John. Um, it's that that interview is a little bit like. The NASA light delay where you're going to hear it in the in the future, but we've recorded it in the past.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: When people are finally on the, on the red planet, how will they mark time? Using Earth time seems very weird because the extra 37 minutes would slowly change the way the sun and dark times are happening. But adding 37 minutes will slowly change when they celebrate their birthdays and New Year's, etc. I could have done more research on my own, but I chose not to. Abby. We don't know. It could be yeah. it could be either way. They could have a 24 probably my guess is that they will have a 24 hour and 37 minute day and they will keep their seconds the same length as our seconds and their hours and minutes will thus always be the, also be the same length as our hours and minutes. Mm-hmm. But they could just stretch it out so that 20 like just have every every second be a little tiny bit longer and thus the day would just be 24 hours. But I I think it's easier for the human mind to just have those extra 37 minutes in the middle of the night and be like it's mars time baby
1: <laughs> right i just i just sleep a little longer on mars yeah. it's just the way that it is right in terms of the year i i don't think that it will necessarily change because there's there's nothing to a solar year that's inherent inherently important to keeping time lots of people right. on earth right now keep time according to lunar years and that works out just fine mm-hmm. and you know it, it it isn't like a problem for communicating schedules or like Uh meeting times Uh or anything. So I think that may stay the same as well. But this is all so hypothetical because one of the strange and wondrous things to consider when thinking about humans on Mars is that eventually if you know, there becomes a significant long-term human population on Mars. There will be such a thing as Martian culture that will be separate from oh yeah, Earth human culture. And they will make their own rules and norms. And who knows? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can totally see them setting up sort of a 24-hour and 37-minute day. Uh, and then in the future, them being like, God, why did we do that? Just the same way we feel about Daylight Savings Time. Where we're like, oh, my God, the people in the past yeah. made this really annoying choice And so now we have, instead of we just having our own seconds, which we could have had our own seconds, we have to deal with this extra 37 minutes every day. Yeah. Now that I've said that, it's it's good to standardize seconds.
1: That's helpful. I think it's a really- It would be really annoying if Mars had different seconds. I I think it's a very bad idea to increase the length of a second by like 14 nanoseconds. I think that that- that's that's like way worse than the metric yeah. standard divide. <laughs> right. Yeah. Be like, OK, so which wait, wait, you ran 100 meters in which kind of seconds?
0: Like <laughs> much worse than Martian seconds. Much worse than that would just be like trying to have any interoperability between computer systems. Like,
1: Yeah, totally. They rely on know, seconds. It, it, that would be catastrophic. And also there's no reason to because it it's just it it it's just thirty-seven extra minutes. It's not that big of a deal. Man, if I could have thirty-seven extra
0: minutes in a day, I would take that deal immediately.
1: Oh, me too. Oh God. I, I it is a little weird because like you you are gonna die yeah. younger. Yeah. Well, I mean, fewer that's, that's days. realistic. You're, yeah. you're gonna you're gonna die younger on average, regardless if you're that's a Martian. True. But like in the beginning. You're you're gonna die younger just just as a function yeah. of time. In fewer like, days. You have fewer days to live. But you know what, Hank? Like I think that if you offered me 24 hour and 40 minute days right now here on Earth, I would take that. <laughs> oh yeah. I would pay for that. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. Why don't why haven't we turned time into, into a capitalist extractable resource? It's actually the premise of that movie starring Justin Timberlake. What was it called? Uh, Oh, God, it was so... I don't want to say good because that's not the right adjective. It was so watchable on an airplane. What was it called? Oh, what was it called? I think it might have been called In Time. It's called In Time. 36% on Rotten Tomatoes. I respectfully disagree. I found it to be... Totally acceptable. (laughs) I can't believe I haven't heard of this movie. Oh, okay. So in this movie, and bear in mind I saw it once on an airplane and I'd had a few drinks and also I was jet lagged. In this movie, time is money. (laughs) <laughs> so you can like trade and sell oh, the remaining time in your life oh. uh in exchange for goods and services and then you can add time by like working for a few hours or or you can go gambling with your time oh. and time has become the only currency.
0: God, that is such a rich white guy idea for a movie.
1: Mhm. <laughs> yes. No, it it has the it has the sheen of a 20th century film made in the 21st century. You know what I mean? Like it <laughs> yeah. it it feels yeah. like the script is like 45 years old. Uh-huh. But I again, I found it utterly, I'm sure, utterly watchable.
0: There's very little there's very few science fiction movies that I do not enjoy watching. There there are many that I I recognize are bad but still love to watch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is something I've discovered about myself in movies in the last couple of years. I'm perfectly happy just like watching what happens in the background. So like, I don't actually care that much (laughs) who's talking and what they're saying or what the arc is. I just want to enjoy the set design. Speaking of which, Hank, we got an email Uh from a listener named Mason who wrote in to say that their dad... Is the set designer on the show The Expanse? And oh that when God. we talked about the show The Expanse, Mason got really excited. And then Mason adds, Personally, I'm more of a Star Trek person. Mason, don't say that. Just yeah, <laughs> keep cool. that inside. Don't, uh, go. <laughs> don't tell your dad. Don't tell your dad. Oh my God. I mean, the set decoration on The Expanse is very good. I know. That's what I was thinking. I was like, Ugh. that's one of the main things I enjoy about The Expanse is what's happening in the background. It is very rewatchable
0: for that reason. Like you, you you are always missing good stuff on The Expanse. All right. What, my God. It's, it's the best TV show on television right now. I, oh God, it's so good. So
1: Mason, is also not on television. Please thank... Yeah, right. I mean, what is television? Mason, please thank your dad for us. Hank, I know that we are mostly answering questions about Mars uh-huh. and Perseverance today, and I absolutely understand why, and I fully endorse the strategy, but we do need to answer this one question from Carmen, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I recently finished reading A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab, and I enjoyed it, and I want to read the rest of the series. However, somewhere during the book, I started imagining the characters as anthropomorphic mice. <laughs> like 1973 Disney's Robin Hook style characters, but mice. Sure, I think I would enjoy the story more if I could imagine the characters as humans, but alas, I can only see <laughs> whimsical mice in my mind's eye. How do I make this stop? What if I'm reading the Anthropocene Reviewed book coming out May 18th and available for pre-order now? Somebody knows how to get their questions answered. <laughs> But I can only picture the Anthropocene as rodents. Dubious advice appreciated. Not San Diego, but I'm right here, Carmen. Ah, oh, I think you lean into it. Oh, I mean, I can't speak for Ve Schwab, but if somebody read *The Fault in Our Stars* and oh, throughout the yeah. entire novel, in their mind's eye, they were seeing mice from *American <laughs> F- Tale. F- I would be, yeah. s- I would be thrilled. <laughs> I would be so pleased. I would, I, yeah, I would just be in awe of the fact that a human imagination can do that. I actually
0: have read a science fiction book before, and I won't tell you what it is, maybe because I can't remember for sure, but also because I don't want to spoil it, where for the first like half of the book, you imagine the characters as humans, but then halfway through you realize that they are not human shaped. And maybe that's what's happening. And maybe V.E. Schwab is out there knowing that these characters are mice, but you're the only one who's figured it out.
1: I love that. That's, that's it. That's the answer.
0: And also, like, I've read that book and there's lots of good like cloaks and I love oh. the idea of the mouse in a, the, mouse in and a cloak. cloak and like, so like those characters seem very like, they, they seem like they'd be really
1: dope mice. I, I, I completely agree with you, Hank, that a mouse in a cloak, really a mouse in any kind of like complicated, slightly noir costume uh-huh. is awesome. Right. And, they're, and I don't mean like an actual mouse because I have no interest in or affinity toward actual mice. I'm talking about <laughs> five like animated yeah. mice. I'm talking about <laughs> five. Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds great. I don't know how to like I if 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 you get like four books from now and it's still happening, even then I think just like live your whimsy. This is great.
1: Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you be happy Hank if people read an absolutely remarkable thing and were like this is an incredible analysis of internet mouse culture?
0: I think I think if we end up Someday making a TV show or a movie out of it, I'm going to write it into the contract. Must be mice, <laughs> <laughs> and they're and
1: they're and they're going to and they're going to take their pen and they're going mean, to strike through it, and then yeah, my agent is going to be like, "What the hell, Hank? <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to. I know your agent." <laughs> She's also my agent, and I and I love the idea of you emailing her and saying, "Yeah, no, this looks good. Everything looks good here." There's, I love all of it. There's just one thing I'd like to add: a mouse clause. Uh, it's just no, it doesn't no, even have to no, be a full uh, sentence. Not uh, C-L-A-U-S-E. <laughs> That's right, a, a, a mice clause. I just I I think that the show is only gonna work if it's a sort of American tale. <laughs> in the 21st century kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, I got to read A Darker Shade of Magic again. (laughs) Let me tell you from experience how much movie studios love those clauses, even if they aren't about animated mice. How much they love those clauses. There's something in uh, one of the contracts that I signed early on in my career, speaking of Mars, that refers to the owner, the company's ownership of the rights in perpetuity Mm -hmm. um, for display in any place on Earth or anywhere else.
0: Yeah, some lawyer was like, hey, "Hey, hey, hey!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've listened to a podcast that thinks maybe we'll be on Mars by 2028.
1: <laughs> we so don't want to we... lose the Martian rights to this <laughs> yeah. young adult novel written in 2005, or else we'll go bankrupt.
0: <laughs> so those words don't cost any money. Might as well write them down. Turns out they do cost a little bit of money, which is part of why they're written
1: down. So, Hank, as someone who has uh, put a few of those clauses into uh, movie contracts over the years, one thing that's actually changed in the 15 years since my first novel came out is that, like, back then, the movie studios genuinely and deeply did not care what authors thought. And I mean that in a profound way. Like, individuals might care, you know? Like, Like the the people who who were making the Looking for Alaska project, like they cared because they were nice people and because I had a good relationship with them. And so they cared, but like the institution of the studio did not care at all. But now they kind of can't afford not to care because they know that you have Twitter. Yeah. Like they know that you have a direct line to your readership. And so there's a little part of me that thinks that if you really want to have an absolutely remarkable thing show or movie that stars (laughs) anthropomorphic mice, like you might be able to push hard for that. All right. Well, uh, By the way, I, don't, <laughs> I don't recommend that. I don't, I I, I want to pause and just like consider the actual creative choice here in a, in addition to the gag. And mm-hmm. like, I I don't think that that you should like t- take this bit yeah. all the way I hear you. to like a theater near you. <laughs>
0: but if I did make a graphic novel adaptation, I could just have it mm. be mice.
1: hundred percent. No doubt. All it right. has to be. All right.
0: <laughs> Ah, <laughs> excellent. John, here's another not Mars questions from Cass, who asks, dear Hank and John, what's the coolest themed party you've ever been to? Ooh. Raise a glass, Cass. It's got to be the pirate birthday party you had when I was like six. I do not remember that. I do. It was it was very cool. And all of your very cool nine year old friends were over. And I was just completely all three of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was two. I think it was two of them. <laughs> yeah, it's Matt and Andy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was very cool, and I was I was so uh, so taken with the whole thing that I remember it to this day. Wow! Also, I have not been to a lot of themed parties, and would like to go to a Mars themed party whenever possible.
1: Yes, I agree that that our first party on the other side of this should be both perseverance themed and Mars themed. I think you could do a kind of double theme. Twin theming is very dangerous with parties, of course. You've got to be very careful mm-hmm. when you do that. You don't want to have an, you know, like an under-the-sea prom that's also a 1970s prom. That's too much. I when I was when I turned either 26 or 27 years old, I apologize and I, I apologize to John Keats for not remembering the age of his death. My roommates threw me a birthday party called John Green Has Outlived John Keats. <laughs> <laughs> at which we had like a a, a kind uh-huh. of John Keats themed birthday party. Everybody who came to this big birthday dinner had to bring a poem. And like, we all read, read our poems around the table and it was really, really lovely. Um, and I think the last person who read, read Ode on a Grecian Urn, uh, which ends beauty is truth and truth beauty. That is all, you know, and all, all you need to know. And, it I was just really nice. So if, if you're turning either 26 or 27, that's my recommendation. John, here's another Mars question. It comes from Sam who
0: asks, Dear Hank and John, From what I understand, Perseverance has a nuclear battery. On the very slim chance that there is still life on Mars, isn't there the danger that the radiation will kill this life? Sam... Oh gosh no. If there's if there's a uh, there is so much radiation on Mars, so much, uh, that if there is if there is life on the surface, it is very good at not being destroyed by radiation. So there's that bit of it. There's also the bit of it that this is uh the, the radiation inside is very heavily shielded to the point where like humans can work next to the rover without any problems and did for a long time. So yeah, the 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 thought of where life is though. So taking your question to another level, it is almost definitely not on the surface because it's just there like it's desiccated the the atmospheric pressure is very low it's very cold it's very cold there's lots of radiation so the where we think that there might be life is if there is still geological activity, like there's still warmth from the inside of the planet, that might have created pockets of liquid water under the surface, potentially very deep under the surface. And, and we're not really sure, you know, that's, that's also possible that it's just like definitely not a thing because anywhere there's warm water, it will find a way to evaporate. But there's also these pockets of cold water that we've found that have another problem, which is that they have tons of these very nasty uh, ionic compounds in them. So all kinds of weird, bad salts that would probably interfere with life. So there's, it, it is still pretty unlikely that there is life on Mars. It's not ruled out for sure. The thing that Perseverance is really looking for is signs of past life, which is much more likely and also potentially not that hard to find if you go to the right places where there was longstanding water which is where life would happen and if that life has managed to leave behind any sort of evidence of itself in the form of you know billions of years old fossils we could actually see those things and uh, and do tests now it's kind of, it can be hard to tell the difference between a fossil and just a regular rock when you're talking about microbial life so like we have these on earth these fossils of bacterial mats so back when earth had nothing but bacteria like they would die in these layers and you can find these fossils of bacterial mats. And so we know what that looks like on Earth. But you can also do sort of chemical analysis to see if um, if the, the stuff that the rocks are made of makes you think this is kind of how life would gather chemicals together.
1: I've been reading Philip Detmer of Kurtz his forthcoming book about the immune system, mm. and it's really wonderful and beautiful and fascinating and, and like a really in-depth long Kurtz Gazat video. It's just brilliant. But one of the things I've learned is that around or as much as half of all bacteria in the oceans die from viral infections yeah. every 48 hours. <laughs> Uh-huh. The, it's we it's a weird balance. The extent of life on Earth is it's mind blowing. Yeah. Like you like you uh, what like how do you get your head around the idea that a drop of white river water has a hundred million viral particles inside of it? Mm-hmm. And so there like life is so so much more abundant than we understood even a few decades ago. And we know so much more about what it might look like we know so much more about like what the what the remnants of life might look like mm-hmm. that i'm I'm really hopeful that um that people will be able to to figure something out but it's 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 amazing to think that we're gonna we have this rover that's gonna look at the surface of Mars and like and and try to make conclusions without human hands there to like sift through fossils or whatever mm-hmm It's just, it's just mind blowing to me that we're able to do science almost as if we had like robot arms, but they're millions of miles away. Yeah.
0: And uh, like we, and we, we continue to do it and I I mean, it just feels so good that it's, that it worked. I mean, there's a lot of people who worked really hard and are very happy that it worked, but I didn't work at hard at all. And I'm like it's not like it it isn't really about about that it's just like oh god i just know how hard it is yeah and how unlikely it is and how important it is yeah it just feels really good I feel really good There's all, all kinds of stuff that i don't feel good about right now but i feel really good about that i remember when curiosity landed being like thinking oh we really needed that like as a species we really needed that win <laughs> and i was just like Wait, what wow
1: i don't know <laughs> What were we bummed out about in 2013? I don't know. Oh, something. Just like 33 years of incredible progress <laughs> at battling child mortality yeah. and global absolute poverty—is that what we were oh, bummed God. out about? Like, I remember in 2013 thinking that like child mortality will just continue to decline because that's what it does. Mm-hmm. Well, and this that is, was wrong.
0: This is the thing: progress is never a straight line, and it is important to remember that. But it does have a direction to it uh, overall.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I. <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell you, Hank, that is not borne out by history, in my opinion, Like we, we, we've, had some, we've had some very long periods where where things got much, much worse for humans. Yeah. Which reminds me, actually, that today's podcast oh, is brought to you by by the 14th century. The 14th century calamitous.
0: Ugh. This podcast is also brought to you by the month March, which we have just entered into and is also named for Mars.
1: So, boom, take that. And today's podcast is brought to you by Perseverance, Perseverance, a value that landed on Mars. (laughs) And also, this podcast
0: is brought to you by A Darker Shade of Cheese, A Darker Shade (laughs) of Cheese by V.E. Schwab. It's your (laughs) name. Boom. It's great. It's a great mouse book.
1: Hank, before we get to the all-important news from Mars and then to a far lesser extent, AFC Wimbledon, (laughs) I need to let you know about a few responses that we received, not just from Mason, whose dad works on The Expanse, but also this email, which came in from Jan Willem, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I agree with your claim that one man cannot be two presidents. And yes, Hank, we are returning to the issue of whether or not Grover Cleveland is one president or two presidents. But does this mean that John has been drinking one Diet Dr. Pepper his whole life, just Mm. divided into different cans? And if not, what exactly is the difference between Dr. Pepper presidents and vaccines? You'll recall, Hank, that I said that if you get— the two doses of the COVID vaccine, you're getting one vaccine twice. Yes. But did I just drink one Diet Dr. Pepper twice if I had two separate Diet Dr. Peppers? This is a good question, Jan oh, Willem, no. and a reminder that language does not exist outside of us. It is, it is only to serve our purposes. That's right. So I had two Diet Dr. Peppers and I hopefully soon will have one vaccine. <laughs> I
0: just like the idea that that there is a giant Dr Pepper out there somewhere, and they're and they're just like canning up individual pieces of it for you, just like carving, <laughs> off, carving yeah. off, little sections of it. That's kind of true. There's sort of like the conceptual Diet
1: Dr Pepper, because like if if you had a Diet Dr Pepper one day that tasted different, you'd be like, "This isn't Diet Dr Pepper." It wouldn't be, and in fact, like those the mix of those twenty three different flavors. Is what di- Diet Dr. Pepper is, right? Like it, Right. And so in that sense, I am only ever having one Diet Dr. Pepper, because if they changed the makeup of it even a little bit, it would be devastating for me. I don't want to exaggerate it, but that is the situation. We also <laughs> got an incredible email from somebody identified only as sweatsuit sales associate, which is not an easy phrase to pronounce, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I am a professional hoodie expert as I work for a retailer whose mission is to clothe everyone in matching gray sweatsuits. Wait, what? <laughs> you got to have a mission. That's what they say when you start business school. They have, they say, pick something and go for it. What is the problem that you're trying to solve? <laughs> We're trying to solve the problem that not everyone is wearing matching gray sweatsuits. Yeah. So anyway, this person goes on to write about the little pocket that's inside of the, the hoodie pocket mm-hmm. that you can get if you buy a hoodie at com, and also if you buy a matching gray sweatsuit at this nameless retailer. Mm-hmm. So, this is called uh, a, a pocket for. Essentials, as it's called in the biz, apparently. Um, I know that you stated you would not keep any of your essentials in such a pocket, but imagine, if you will, that you are also wearing your sweatpants with your hoodie. Now you have four to five pockets in which to store your essentials, but those in the sweatpants bumping around all day are undoubtedly far less secure than the teensy inner pocket nestled safely within your cozy kanga pouch. Some sweatpants might also have a small safety pocket, but these are often situated inside the waistband or other less accessible locations, so a the sweatsuit wearing person's best option for key storage is therefore the inner pocket of the hoodies Kanga pouch. And I mean, that person has a level of expertise in this yeah. field that I will never approach. And so it's for your keys.
0: It's for your keys. It's a you got to have a, a safe key spot, which for clarity is my jeans. Well, no, Hank, because in the future you're wearing a gray <laughs> sweatsuit, whether you like it or not. That's what we all wear on Mars. It's the Mars outfit. <laughs> Everybody on
1: Mars knows that it's way too much it's way too much trouble to pick <laughs> clothes out which reminds us it is time for the news from Mars as if this hasn't all been the news from
0: Mars So Farah Alabey is a systems engineer at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory she has worked on several Mars missions she started working there in 2014 and has worked on the Insight lander and also the Marco CubeSats and and most recently the Perseverance rover And I'm so excited to have this conversation and share it with all of you. How's Mars, Farah?
2: It's cold, but it's beautiful.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I I live in Montana, so I know all about that, except (laughs) that I can totally breathe the atmosphere here, which is dope.
1: It's so exciting to have you here. Thank you so much for making the time. And congratulations. I have to confess, as I watched the live stream, I'm, I'm curious what your experience of of those, you know, like last 10 or 15 minutes was my experience was pure terror (laughs) followed by a rush, an unexpected rush of sobbing.
2: Yeah, pretty much that's what happened to me. I feel like those last, especially the last seven minutes, like, you know, when we you separate from your crew stage and you're like, all right, we're doing this, guys. Um, I was it was probably the longest and shortest seven minutes Mm -hmm. of my life. I'm not sure that I breathed you were supposed to like stay in your, you know, in your seat and be all prim and proper. I couldn't, I was like running, like pacing around my desk in my little COVID yeah. square that I'm allowed. Yeah. I It expressed itself more in joy for me. I mean, once we landed, I knew I had a job for the next couple of years. So that's nice, you know? <laughs> you know, in addition to the yep. fact that I've worked on this for so long. And, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was joy, right? And, and to be honest, that moment for me was when I saw that first picture. Yeah, You know, we've been on our way to Mars for seven months, and yeah, you're in space, but it's dark. You don't you don't really kind of like imagine mm-hmm. yourself with the rover, there's nothing to see. And then you see that first picture, and I was like, oh, what, like, we're on Mars. Like, this is not Earth, this is a different planet. Like, yeah. we are somewhere else, like, what happened? Um, well, we know what happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you say that you didn't imagine yourself with a rover, and I think that's a really good way to put it. It's it's like, we, you know, obviously, I'm not on Mars. You're not on Mars. No one is on Mars. But Perseverance is on Mars. And I really do kind of put myself in its shoes. I hadn't really thought of that. But like those pictures that come in that are so high resolution now <laughs> compared to what we were getting when I was a teenager when Pathfinder was happening are just like, it really does feel so real that that other world is there and that we are kind of as humans there. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I always say that, you know, I'm the closest to get to a Mars explorer. I explore through the eyes and ears of the rover. And, and as you said, like the technology has gone so far, forward now that I mean we have video, high resolution video that we're going to get from Mars, and mm-hmm. and we have two microphones, so we'll we'll get video and sound matched together, which is you know as close as you can get to experiencing Mars from Earth, from the comfort of your own home, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who work on the Perseverance mission, what what are your parts of the mission? So
2: I have a few different hats. So leading up to launch, I was part of the mobility team. So I did a lot of the testing for driving the rover. My particular job is to make sure the rover doesn't get lost on Mars, like literally. So <laughs> it, it seems, you know, you're like, oh, yeah of course you can find yourself, but you know, it's not obvious. There's no GPS, there's no maps and the rover has to know how to call home. So it has to know where earth is and where to point to talk to it. Mm. So that has been my job on earth. Don't ask me for directions, but I can promise you I'm not going to lose the rover on Mars. So, and, and what we do is we use onboard instrumentation and then we actually use the sun and the time. And, you know, if we can know very, very well where the sun is in in the sky and what time it is, we can figure out which way we're pointed Mm -hmm. and how to call home. (laughs) But now that we've landed, I, again, wear a couple different hats. So the past couple of days on Mars, I've been checking out my system, finding the rover, making sure it's in the right place. And now I'm actually going to be part of the... surface operation planning so when we do operations on Mars we don't just you know it's not like a video game I don't have a joystick at my desk I wish I did but I'm not just driving the rover yeah. we have to plan everything ahead of time and so we plan it during the Martian night and it's a it's a whole team effort there's you know about 50 60 people on a given day uh, doing this and each person has their own piece of the puzzle someone does the driving the moving the arm the moving XYZ instrument. My job is to put all those pieces together mm. and make a coherent plan that makes it up to the rover. Mm-hmm. So that's one hat. And then the other, which is my favorite hat that I wear for this mission, is that I'm in charge of coordinating all of the operations for the helicopter that we brought on with us. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So we have a small helicopter called Ingenuity that is tucked in below the rover. And in you know just under a month, we're going to start driving towards a potential site to drop off that rover, deploy that rover on the surface of Mars, which is not a simple feat because we have to sort of separate it from us and not crush it when we drive away from it, (laughs) and then coordinate the flights and, you know... We're gonna take videos of the flights and things like that. So I do all of that coordination to make that happen.
1: <laughs> so that's really exciting. That's so that's so
0: that's a lot of different
1: things. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of work.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't slept much the past few months, but I would you know imagine. I love what I do so much. That it makes it makes it easy.
0: Yeah. And are are you now on Martian time or opposite Martian time? Because you have to plan during the nights?
2: Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's, you know, as we're speaking, it's 11am Pacific time, and it's actually just about my wake up time. But uh, so yeah, we work during the Martian night right now. Unfortunately, Earth time and Mars time are pretty much synced up. So that means I work during the Earth night um, here in Pacific time. Mm -hmm. But you know, for folks who are not familiar with, of course, who are not familiar with Martian time. What does that mean? Well, a Martian day is 24 hours and 40 minutes-ish. So that means that, you know, I work during the Martian night every day, but it's not just a simple shift in my schedule. My schedule shifts by 40 minutes a day. And so far, what I can tell you is it feels like being jet lagged every day. It's just a little bit every day. I'm not looking forward to having to wake up at 10 or 11 p.m. to go to work. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at least it's all temporary because it'll shift again and then it'll be fine again. But.
0: Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's what everybody says.
1: Uh, will you be working in the Martian night for this entire two year experience?
2: No, 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 no. I um, oh, good. We are only doing that for the first 90 sols. A sol is a Martian day. Uh-huh. So we really only do it for all of the initial checkouts, you know, flying the helicopter, getting to our first science site and doing that first exciting stuff that we want to do. And then once once things are stable and we kind of know what we're doing, then we we go into an every other day operations mode where we we plan during normal human times. So I don't I don't think my family would be too happy with me if I was living on Mars time for two years. Yeah, for
0: two for two years of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nobody nobody says, oh boy, night shift is is much better if you move it it's forty minutes it, a day. It's, it slowly turns into day shift and then slowly turns back into <laughs> night shift over and over again. Yeah, I don't think that that's the the best way to. To survive a graveyard shift,
1: it's pretty brutal. But yeah, it must be so exciting. And also, this—I mean, these last few days must have just been so exciting and surreal and different from—I mean, I, I would imagine pretty different from anything that came before.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of—I think the adrenaline rush is like finally coming down. I've—I've I've worked, I don't know how many hours in the past four days, and didn't even need coffee, which is like not normal for me. But you know, it's like when you're on shift and the data comes down from the rover and you see, I mean, we've been seeing all of this is getting released to the public this week, but imagery from the descent and landing (laughs) imagery from Mars and like high res imagery. Mm -hmm. It is incredible. And you know, the way to think about it is when I'm on shift, I'm one of the first humans to see that part of Mars. Right. And that, Mm -hmm. that is such a privilege and such a rush. I mean, we're all screaming and clapping all day, pretty much, in our shifts right now. I'm sure it will <laughs> calm down, but right now we're like, "Oh, we did this! Oh, we saw this! Woo!"
0: <laughs> oh, I mean, t- t- I-, I I've keep seeing people on Twitter basically saying, "I just like I just saw a picture or a video of a thing that we haven't released yet, and it's very exciting." Uh, but ten minutes ago, like while we were preparing for this, the video of the landing was released. So oh. I would normally be watching that right now, but I'm talking <laughs> to you, which is even better.
1: That is something that I appreciate so much about NASA and public space missions generally is the focus on really sharing information with the public and making everything publicly available in the public domain. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it's such an encouragement in a time where Access to information gets so fractured and and gets split up and tries to get monetized six ways to Sunday (laughs) to be able to... You know, see images from the Hubble Space Telescope or from Perseverance, and know that those images belong to all of us.
2: I mean, it's your taxpayers' money, right? Uh, but also, it's part of NASA's charter to educate and and provide information. I mean, I think that's the the whole point of science as a whole, right? It's not for any single person. Exploration and science is is to be shared with humanity because we benefit from science education so it's certainly one of the reasons why i work for jpl and nasa is because of that open facing part of what we do right we we explore for the sake of exploring we have no agenda other than understanding and that that's such a pure thing to get to do um you know in your life it's just like we do this because we can and because we want to, mm-hmm. and we're going to share it with you the best way we can.
1: That's
0: awesome. It is super awesome. Can, can, I, can I ask you a little bit of how you got uh, to where you're at? What was your... What's your path looks like, look like?
2: Uh, meandery. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was I was born in Montreal. I'm actually French-Canadian. Um, grew up kind of like an hour outside of Montreal and then moved to England when I was a teenager. So that's where I learned English. <laughs> so if you're wondering what this weird accent is, that's what it is. It's like Canadian-British. <laughs>
0: French-Canadian-British. West Coast
2: <yeah>. person. <laughs> I eventually found my way to... Um, the University of Cambridge when I did my uh, undergrad and master's in aerospace engineering, but was focused in in sort of jet engines and, and sort of the era of aerospace. Um, so when I finished my master's, I kind of always had this itch to work in space. That's what I wanted to do. I grew up wanting to be an astronaut, and mm-hmm. I got an offer to go do my PhD at MIT. So I kind of just left everything behind and moved to Boston and thought... We'll try the space thing and see what happens. Um, and during that time, actually, I ended up at JPL in 2012 when they landed the Curiosity rover. And I was an intern here. And I was just so amazed, right? I mean, that's like kind of like the best advertisement you have for your interns of like, come work here. Like <laughs> they landed. This huge <laughs> rover on Mars, and it, I got to be there when it happened. I I got to like talk to the people that did it. I saw the first imagery come down, and I was I was in love at that point. I was like, "This is what I want to do. This is the team I want to be on." I mean, these people are changing history, right? Like they're writing. They're writing the books on how we do this. No one's done this before. Mm -hmm. So I took my resume, knocked on every single door. I must have annoyed so many people. (laughs) Sat in their offices and was like, I want a job here. So eventually, yeah, they they did give me a job. Um, So after my PhD, I came out here in 2014 and um, this is actually my um, third Mars mission. I worked on the InSight landing that happened two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a companion mission called Marco, which was a set of CubeSats, small spacecraft that were doing telecom relay for the landing. So I worked on that, too. It, it's strange. My my degree, you know, my PhD thesis is in planetary exploration, and I always kind of focused on outer planets. I I really think the outer moons are really cool. And yeah, in the past seven years, I've only worked on Mars and I don't
0: regret it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a very good planet. And now. Maybe the <laughs> second best one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is It is the second best planet in the solar system, for sure. There's not even, not even a close... Not a close sec- second. It's not, like, it's not, a, it's not yeah. a race. I think
2: it's, it's, right, like, Earth is by far the best because it's the only place we can live. Yeah. Yeah. And Mars is really the only place other place we could potentially go without dying, so,
0: yeah. yeah. Right.
1: Pretty immediately, yeah. And now there are interns who watched you a few days ago celebrating that yeah. landing and... W- caught the bug in that moment or people listening to this who you know feel the feel the excitement of of that space exploration and uh and and you are that person who those people were for you which is which is really lovely yeah Yeah, that's kind of
2: wonderful to think about right it's kind of coming full circle and i i sure hope that you know people see this and get excited whether whether it is that they come work in this domain or just just get excited about space and science as a whole. I think we need more of that right now, right? Like we need more people to just Mm -hmm. understand what the importance and the impact of science is and, and that these things are worth doing. Oh yeah. Well,
1: Thank you so much. And, Thank you for taking the time today. I don't want to keep you over your time, especially since you just woke up. Hopefully you can get a cup of coffee and uh, yeah. get started on uh, the Martian night. I'm
2: actually going to go check out that press conference yeah. and see, see that landing video. I mean, I've seen it before.
1: Right, but now you're going to see like you're going to see the public version <laughs> it of it. It was very cool. I wa- I
0: watched it. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have, but I did watch it. It's amazing.
2: <laughs> we have seen it and speculated on how they should do the montage of the video. Yeah. So I hope I hope they
0: did a good job. They did. They did. the The, the part where they cut from the little rocket thing boosting away. I was like, "Oh, it's over!" But then they cut to the mission control, where everyone was celebrating, and I was like, oh, ah. uh,
2: no, I'm gonna cry when I watch it again now." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so they did a great job.
1: I I cried so hard. I, I I cried really hard when Curiosity landed too, but I cried hard this time just because it 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 was an incredible act of perseverance. You yeah. know, like it, it's the, not easy for, to get for the done. people who worked on the mission. And really, for for all of us, it's it it, it represents evidence of hope for the future. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I'm going to tell you a little anecdote here before I leave so that the name Perseverance got picked, you know, back in January, February of 2020. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, we were on lab at the time. We were all together in one room at the time. You know, those things we don't do anymore. And I remember they announced the name, and all of us were like, "Eh, you know, it's hard to spell, and like, it is. You know, it's kind <laughs> of long to say. Uh-huh. Sure, whatever. We'll call it perseverance. We'll call it Percy. We'll move on, right? And then COVID hit in March, and yeah. and that name became so real for us, and and you know, it became what our team is because we were what like four months you know, away from launch and overnight we were told you can't come to lab anymore and you got to figure mm-hmm. out how do you do your job and still meet that planetary you know, deadline by the way in four months and yep. Yep. you know there's no relaxing there's no like you know we're in a global pandemic take care of yourself like you got to get this done and the team just came together right and and we made it work somehow and, and looking back there's so many hurdles we had along the way COVID being the biggest that we made made through and you know we we piloted and landed this thing mostly remotely right like on mm-hmm. landing day when you saw those people in that room this is the first time they were in the same room together in over a year and somehow they still pulled it off so so that name became very very real for for us so you know whoever when they picked that name i think i don't think they could have foreseen what it would have meant but i i think it's it's real for us it's real for the United States as a whole at this point, and and you know, and I would say probably the the humanity as a whole that's watching, right? And so yeah. we couldn't have picked a better name, and I'm I'm so proud to be to be behind
0: that team too. Well,
1: oh, thank you so much again, yeah. and here's to perseverance.
0: Woo woo! Yay! So, John, uh it's time for you to follow up. What's the news from AFC Wimbledon?
1: <laughs> Well, this is the rare week where the news from AFC Wimbledon is not quite as important as the news from Mars. But there is news. This week, uh, AFC Wimbledon announced their permanent new first-team coach who will replace uh, manager Glenn Hodges. And it's Mark Robinson who coached the kids. He's been with the club since 2004. He's been the academy coach for a long time. In fact, a lot of the players who are now in our first team were coached by him when they were 12 or 13 years old. It's a really lovely story. This is his first shot at, you know, professional football management. I really really like him. I've known him for a long time and I I've I just I think so much of him as a person and I really really hope that um he's able to have a lot of success as the AFC Wimbledon manager. It's obviously a huge opportunity for him. And and everybody, I think, at the club, it's safe to say, is rooting for him. Wimbledon are currently in the first relegation spot, uh, 25 points after 27 games. So we definitely need a change of fortune and hopefully this will be it.
0: All right. Well, I'm I'm happy for you, John, and I'm. But mostly, I'm happy for Mars and humanity.
1: It's it's incredible. And
0: Farah and all the people at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and uh, and also just everybody else. And I hope that everybody can enjoy. Yeah. Perseverance as much as I can. It's so exciting that the uh, the image the image bank has opened up, so we can just look at all of the pictures it's taking, and it's just amazing how much data they can get from Mars. Really fast now. Um, you know, that first picture coming in is always such a big deal. Uh, but, you know, the, the good ones are always, you know, you have to wait a little while. And they're starting to come in, in spades. Well,
1: here's to perseverance. Here's to
0: perseverance, John. We're off to record our Patreon-only podcast this weekend, stuff where we talk about things that are making us happy. I think we probably know what I'm going to be talking about. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gonarola And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.